questions, God has also given us instructions as to how we ought to live. God gives us a certain lifestyle, certain parameters of life. And just as the government has given us these instructions for our benefit and for our well-being, so God gives us instructions in his word for our benefit and for our well-being. And the Christian life is described in many different ways in the New Testament. And one of those ways is living or walking in the light. And that's what we want to take a look at today. How do we live and walk in the light? And just to explain at the beginning, living, walking in the light means living in the light of God's revelation of himself his character and its nature, which we find in scripture. And also his expectations that he has of us as his children. Living and walking in the light. Amen. And we're going to have a look at some of those aspects today. In 1 John 1, 5-7, the Apostle John says... This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And also Paul in Ephesians 5, 8 to 10 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Amen. So here we can find some general aspects of what it means to live and to walk in the light. John says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with the Father. Jesus. We live in right relationship to God, our Father. And also, if we live and walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We live and walk in right relationship one to another. And John says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. As we live and walk in the light, the effect effectiveness of the work of Christ on the cross continues in our life. The blood of Jesus continues to purify us from all sin. Amen. 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 And also, Paul says in Ephesians that we ought to live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And these are the fruit of those who live and walk in the light. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. And as we do that, we find out what pleases the Lord. 
Amen. And not in a theoretical way, but in a practical and experiential way. As we do what God asks of us, as we walk, as we live in the light, as we do that, we find out what pleases the Lord. And we have the witness by the Holy Spirit to confirm that what we're doing is pleasing to our Father in heaven. So these are some of the general aspects of what it means to live and walk in the light. And now we're going to go to some more particular and focused themes regarding those who live and walk in the light. In Ephesians 4, 29-32, Paul gives us some instructions regarding those who live and walk in the light. And some of them may seem strange and out of place for us as Christians. But let me remind you, the, the letter Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So we're included in this message. This is for us, for those who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Amen. And this is what Paul says, Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Amen. Amen. And these instructions are given to us for our well-being and for our benefit, both as individuals and also for us as a community of God's people. First of all, Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So that which is wholesome is morally and spiritually beneficial. So that means that which is unwholesome is morally and spiritually detrimental to my well-being. It's always to my disadvantage, and often it's to my damage, that which is unwholesome. So talk that is unwholesome is impure. It's often described as bad or coarse language, but it could include anything that is detrimental to the hearers. So Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out 
allows. It's an absolute prohibition. There's no place for discussion or argument. Paul says, don't do it. And he goes on to say, only speak those words that are helpful for building others up according to their needs. And how can we do this? Well, first of all, we have to be in tune, in harmony with the Spirit. And he will guide us and give us the right words that we may say that are beneficial to others, that would help to build them up according to their needs. Secondly, we need to be in tune and aware of the needs of others. How else will we be sensitive to the needs of others and else we are aware of their needs? That's our motivation as we recognize the needs of others. We are led by the Spirit of God to meet those needs and say words that are helpful for building them up. Next, we must be familiar with Scripture so as to use it as the means for building others up so that we may have the right words to say. And last but not least, we must have wisdom as regards what to say, when to say it, and perhaps just as important, what not to say. And Paul says that we speak these words that are helpful building others up, that it may benefit those who listen. And this is ministry. This is real ministry. There are those who speak, speak words that are helpful to others. Then there are those who listen, who listen to those helpful words. And those who listen are benefited by hearing those words. And it's not always going to be the same people who are speaking and listening. At some point I may speak those words to benefit others. And other times, others may speak those words to me that I may benefit. So that we may minister one to another by speaking these words to each other. That we may benefit one another and build each other up. And Paul says in verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And grief speaks of deep sadness and is often related to bereavement. How is it possible that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, let's go back to Genesis 6, 6, which says the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And if you remember at the end of Genesis 1, when God had finished his creation on the sixth day and he had 
made man, the scripture says, when God saw everything that he had made, he saw that it was very good. And yet at this point, it says that the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So how is this possible for God to experience grief and pain? It's interesting, isn't it? He's the eternal God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sovereign Lord, the omnipotent one, the omniscient one. And yet it says God experienced grief and pain. And why was he grieved? Why was his heart filled with pain? Well, verse 5 of Genesis 6 tells us, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So why was God grieved? Because of man's wickedness, and because his thoughts were evil continuously. So we say it's possible for God to be grieved and for his heart to be filled with pain. So in Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And if we go back to the beginning of Ephesians, in chapter 1, verses 1 through to 14, we can see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together on our behalf. And at the end of that passage, this is what it says. And having believed, speaking to us and to the church of the Ephesians, having believed you were marked in him that is in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those, that's us, who are God's, the Father's possession, to the praise of his, to the Father's glory. A seal is a mark of authentication. It guarantees that something is genuine. So the Holy Spirit is the seal that guarantees our inheritance. He's the seal of God's possession. He guarantees that we belong to God. He's the seal of God's promise. He guarantees the promises of the Father. And he's the seal of God's provision. He guarantees our heavenly inheritance. Amen. Isn't God good? Amen. We've received a seal, a guarantee, that all God's promises are in Christ, yea and amen. 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 And Paul goes on. Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
That's why I reminded you at the beginning, Paul's message is to Christians. And this is what he tells us. And you remember in verse 30 of Ephesians 4, we said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And we saw that God was grieved because of man's wickedness and because man's thoughts were evil continuously. So that was then. What about now? What grieves God now? And what fills his heart with pain? We find examples of this in verse 31. What grieves God now? What fills his heart with pain? Christians who live in bitterness. Hebrews 12:15 talks about the root of bitterness, which can spring up, cause trouble, and defile many. And as you know, for every root, there's often a seed. And the seed of the root of bitterness is often offences. In Matthew 18, 7, Jesus says, Offences will come. It's almost as if he says, there's no doubt about it. Offences will come. But when offences come, we have a choice. We have a choice as to whether we take offence. Regarding offences, they are given and they can be taken. And as Christians, we have a responsibility not to take on offences. We can either let them pass, or we can deal with them with wisdom and in love. But we should never take offence. Because it's a seed that can grow. And quite often people take offence, and they feed and water that seed, they nurture it, they look after it, and eventually that seed grows, and it turns into the root of bitterness. So be careful that you don't take offences, because they can grow. And once that seed of bitterness grows, it produces fruit. The fruit of bad attitudes, and bad behaviours. And Paul goes on in verse 31 to speak of some of these bad attitudes and bad behaviours. These things that grieve God and fill his heart with pain. Christians who exhibit rage and anger. This means a loss of self-control which is always detrimental to good relationships. One of the fruit of the spirits is self-control. And Christians should always exhibit self-control in all situations and in all circumstances. Whatever the provocation, 
whatever the hurt. We need to be able to exhibit self-control. Then Paul moves on to Christians who have a lifestyle of brawling and slander. Amazing, isn't it? A Christian with a lifestyle of brawling and slander. Brawling means noisy and uncontrolled behaviour. For a Christian to exhibit noisy and uncontrolled behaviour is not a pretty sight. Then Paul mentions slander, which means false and malicious statements. False we can understand, statements that aren't true. But what is malice? What does that mean? Malice is the desire to cause harm to others. This shouldn't be, should it, as Christians? Paul isn't mentioning statements that cause harm unintentionally. He's speaking of statements that have the desire to cause harm to others. This grieves God and fills his heart with pain. So Paul says in verse 31, get rid of it. It doesn't suit you. It's not who you are. It's not who God made you to be. But most of all, get rid of it because it brings grief to God and it fills his heart with pain. And this we do not want to do. So Paul says, get rid of it. Get rid of it all. Are you taking this on board? Amen. Amen. This is what it means to walk in the light as a child of God. Amen. And then we come to verse 32 of Ephesians 4. And it takes on a more positive light. This is who we ought to be. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Amen. 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 Be kind and compassionate to one another. This is the Christian lifestyle. This is what it means to live and walk in the light. We are to be known by and because of our kindness and compassion for one another. Amen. How do you? How do we measure up? Are you known by your kindness and by your compassion? How do we treat each other? Do we treat each other with honour and with respect? This is what we ought to do. Amen. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 15, Paul says... Now we ask you, brothers, sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, and live in peace with each other. And our Lord, in the Sermon of the Mount, 
Matthew 7.12 says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Amen. So Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Kindness means that I treat others in the way that I would like to be treated. I'm considerate and I'm generous. And compassion means that I treat others with understanding. I'm not harsh or mean-spirited. I'm aware of and ready to meet the needs of others. And that should be a perfect description of each one of us as we live and walk in the light. Amen. Amen. And Paul goes on, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So this should be the level and the extent of the forgiveness that we extend to one another in the same way that God has forgiven us. And we receive that forgiveness in Christ. Christ makes God's forgiveness available to us. So that's why I do it. I just I have so many numbers. Christ makes God's forgiveness available to us and effective in us. Amen. And how does God forgive? God forgives freely. There's no cost to me. There is no cost to us. Jesus paid the price through his death on the cross. And not only does God forgive freely, God forgives unconditionally. I do not have to do anything. I only have to believe and accept and receive his forgiveness. Amen. Not only does God forgive freely and unconditionally, God forgives permanently. Once I receive his forgiveness, I'm forgiven truly, and I'm forgiven eternally. So Paul says, this then is the way we ought to forgive one another. Amen. Freely, unconditionally, and permanently. Amen. So this is the message for each of us today. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. Amen. God bless you. Amen. 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 Amen.